I want to bring to you a message from God's holy and divine word. It's not anything new, but it's very true. As Brother Johnny, the late Brother Johnny Ramsey said many years ago, when it comes to the word of God, if it's true, it isn't new, and if it's new, it isn't true. And so I know you don't want me to preach anything that's new, but only those things that are found in God's holy and divine word. You know, it has been said that you can give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. You can teach him how to fish and he'll eat for a lifetime. The same thing would go with farming. You could give someone a plate of crops and they can eat for a day, but you teach him how to farm, he can eat for a lifetime. Well, when it comes to preaching, I enjoy opening the pages of God's word and going word for word, line for line, and digging into the text and explaining and expounding upon the things that are written therein. And I can do that, and I do that, you know, on Sunday nights, we're studying verse by verse through the book of Genesis, and that's one of my favorite ways of teaching God's Word. But sometimes we need to be taught how to teach, how to study, how to interpret the Bible. And so that is probably my most favorite thing to do, is to teach people how to study the Bible so that you can study for yourselves, and many of you do very well. Our young people need to be reminded uh, these rules of hermeneutics, as they are called, or rules of interpretation. How, how do I take this book and interpret it correctly? How am I going to be able to read it and understand it? When we look at the people around us, there are many religious people, even in this community, but yet they are so divided over what the Bible teaches. Because many do not know how to rightly divide the Word of God, 2 Timothy 2.15. And they don't treat the Word of God as they should. And so this morning I want to talk to us about one of those rules that we use from day to day. And that is respecting the silence of the Scriptures. Respecting the silence of the Scriptures. The reason why many people do not understand the Word of God today is because they've never learned this rule. They do not put into practice this rule of interpretation. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 2, Moses wrote, Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. And so Moses said, Don't add to the word, don't take away from the word. Proverbs 30, verse 6. The Bible says, And thou shalt not add unto his word, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. And then in Revelation 22, 18 and 19, at the end of the Bible, it says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues, that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So throughout the Bible, from the beginning, also in the middle and at the end, and many other places, does the Holy Spirit warn mankind to leave the Bible as it is. Don't take away from it. Don't add to it. Don't alter it in any way. It says what it means. It means what it says. 
And so we dare not tamper with the word of God. In the early 1500s, there were two main schools of thought concerning the interpretation of the Bible. One was held by Martin Luther. And Martin Luther believed that if the Bible did not clearly forbid something from being done, then you could do it. That sound familiar? The Bible doesn't say that you, if the Bible doesn't say you cannot do something, then it's okay to do it. There was another school of thought, and it was held by a man named Holdrich Swingley. Is you spell that H U L D R E I C H. Zwingli is Z W I N G L I. And he believed that if the Bible did not clearly authorize a thing to be done, then you could not do it. How many times have we heard Bible discussions go something like this? Well, because the Bible does not say I cannot do it, then I can do it. Well, that's Luther. But then you hear the other person say, yeah, but it does not say you can do it either. That's Swingley. If the Bible is silent about a subject, does that mean that we have the freedom to choose? Or should we act only on what is written? That's the question. There are many things on which the Bible is silent. So we need to know how to treat those things. So first of all, let's notice. The first point is this. We can understand the Bible. We need to know that. Uh, maybe even the majority of the people in the religious world today have in their minds that only certain people can really interpret the Bible and understand it correctly. Deep down in their heart of hearts, they do not really believe that they can get a clear and good understanding of the Bible by studying it themselves. But yet, the Bible makes many claims that it can be understood. The Bible, as it is, can be understood by us as we are. In John 8, verse 32, Jesus clearly said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, if you cannot understand the truth, then Jesus could not make that statement. Because in John 17, 17, he said, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So what is truth? It's the word. Jesus said, You can know the truth. So when someone says to you, Oh, you just better leave that alone and... Just come to me and let me tell you what it means. Let me interpret it for you and all these type things. You don't want to listen to that. You want people that will, to be around you that will encourage you to study for yourselves. Yes, we teach one another, but then we encourage each other to go study on your own as well. I don't want you to take anything because I say it. You know that. I'm just trying to help you study the Bible. I'm giving you some things to think about, and I hope that you go home and, and study and restudy these same things to make sure that we've got it right, because that's our goal. In John 6, verse 45, the Bible says, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. 
We've got to be taught. We've got to hear. We've got to learn in order to be obedient. If you can't learn the Word of God, if you can't be taught the Word of God, then you can't come to God. And so how ridiculous would it be for people to say, oh, you know, that's some mysterious book. And you better leave that to certain people to understand, to interpret, because there's no way that we could understand it. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, Paul said, Wherefore I wrote in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Paul said, I wrote in a few words, and when you read it, you can understand it. From time to time, I hear people knock the old King James Bible. And they try to make it sound like, oh, you just can't understand that old Bible. It, and then normally they say things like this. It has all those these and thous and we can understand those things. It's not that difficult. However, some of these modern translations really are paraphrases. They're not translations at all. Many just give the thought that the people have that read it, and so it's not really a word-for-word -word translation. The King James Bible can be understood. It's been understood for, for years and years and years by many who understood it, and so can we understand it as well. But remember this, in order to understand the Bible, young people, you have to have a strong desire to understand the Bible. You've got to want it. You can't just haphazardly uh, attend services of Bible class and just hope that it's all going to stick everything that you hear it doesn't work like that you've got to have a heart that wants to know the word of God you want to understand all of it if at all possible as much as you can and so there's an effort must be made on the parts of all of us who are trying to understand the Bible the Bible gives numerous examples of people who understood the Bible for example, can you imagine what David would have said had someone said, you know, David, you can't really understand the word of God. When David wrote in Psalm 119, verses uh, 103 through 105, he said, how sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Does that sound like someone that's saying, oh, I can't understand what God has said. I can't understand the... Uh, the word of God it's too difficult it's too hard oh no he said through thy precepts I get understanding he says it's through the word of God I get understanding and he said therefore I hate every false way how could he hate every false way if he couldn't understand the precepts of God he did understand and therefore he knew what was right he knew what was evil and what was good and so he got understanding in verse 105 he says thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path can you imagine having a light that doesn't shine the bible was a lamp it was a light for him to see how to walk in this old dark world in verse 130 of that same psalm he said the entrance of thy words giveth light it giveth understanding unto the simple. I'm one of the simple. It gives understanding. That's what the Word of God does. It's light for us. That's how you know what to do and when to do and where to do and how to do. You know more than 
most people of the world in our world because you understand the word of God. You have that understanding. You know things that they don't know, that they have not understood. Because many have bought into this idea, you just can't really understand the Bible. It's too hard. It's too, it's too difficult. You know, the Jews on the day of Pentecost, they didn't have any problem understanding the Word of God, did they? In verse 37, the Bible says, now when they heard this, well, uh, 30, actually 30, yes, yeah, 37, they were pricked in their heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They had just heard that they had with wicked hands taken and crucified the Son of God. And God had raised him up to sit on his own right hand and made him both Lord and Christ. They had no problem understanding the word of God. That's why they cried out, What shall we do? And Peter didn't say, Well, now you can't really understand this, but you need to repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. But you know, also verse 41, the Bible says that they gladly received the word and they were baptized that day about 3,000 souls. Well, how'd they receive it if they couldn't understand it? They had no problem understanding. They did not say, oh, we cannot understand what that means. They understood and so can we today. The Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. You remember Philip went down to Samaria and he preached to them Jesus. Chapter 8, verse 5. There was a man there by the name of Simon who had bewitched the people for a long time. They thought he was some great man of God. But Philip went there preaching the truth and performing miracles. And the Bible says in Acts 8 verse 12, But when they believed Philip preaching things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Now that doesn't sound like they had any trouble understanding the truth, did they? No. They believed, they heard the preaching, they believed, and they obeyed. What about the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, verse 11? Well, the Bible says these were more noble than those of Thessalonica, and that they received the word with readiness of heart, and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. To me, that sounds like people that said, look, I can understand the word of God. I can actually listen to it being preached. I can hear it being taught. I can go home with my notes. I can sit down with my Bible. I can study and know if it's right or wrong. So, let's make it very clear. The Bible is a book that we can understand. Second point. When we do understand it, we must do all in the name of the Lord. Since we can't understand it, we can obey that command. We must do all in the name of the Lord. What does that mean? It means to do by the authority of the Lord or as he has instructed. You remember in Acts chapter 3, there was a man laid there at Gate Beautiful. And he was crippled. He couldn't walk. He had to be laid there. And he was begging alms. And, and Peter and John met him and said silver and gold have we none but such as we have give unto thee in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ arise and walk you remember the man jumped up and he went leaping and praising God running into the temple well the religious leaders of that day they didn't like that did they oh no and so they called Peter and John before them and they they asked this question in Acts chapter 4 verse 7 and when they had set them in the midst they asked, by what power 
Or by what name have ye done this? By what power or by what name? Well, the word power there just means ability or strength. By what ability have you healed this lame man? They didn't really care, did they? But they asked the question anyhow. And by what name? By what name? By the authority of, of who? By what name? By what authority? Have you done this? Well, you remember Jesus said in uh, Matthew 28, verse 18, that all power had been given to him in heaven and on earth. I believe the American Standard says all authority. So to do something in the name of someone means by the authority of. And really the two are in many places very, very much the same. Power, authority, by what power, by what authority uh, do you do things? So they're asking by what authority by what name are you doing this? By what authority are you doing it? Here's the way I would illustrate this. Just say a police officer comes to your house, and I hope this doesn't ever happen, but he says, in the name of the law, I command you to open the door. Well, he's not telling you that his name is law, is he? No. But the authority that he's been given by the law, that's what he's saying. I have authority. I have the power to command you to open this door. In the name of. So one must have divine authority for all that he says and does when it comes to matters of religion. You know, a lot of people today don't believe that. Or they don't practice it for sure. Uh, they go outside of the scriptures to decide how they're going to worship and what they're going to do and when and things of that matter. They try to decide what it will take to draw the masses, and that's what they do. Doing things that they do not have authority to do. But the Bible still says in 1 Peter 4, 11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. The words of God. And so you and I cannot preach and teach just anything. We can't just make up things. We can't preach and teach lies or false doctrine. We must have authority for the things that we preach and practice. That's why we give book, chapter, and verse. Every one of you want to know, if, we wanted to make, if the men wanted to make a change in the worship, the way we worship, or, or the, the, uh, any number of things, you would immediately want to know where is authority for that. Give me book, chapter, and verse. If I told you today that I could stand up here and I could perform a miracle... You'd want to know where I got the authority to do that. Show me, prove to me that you can, because you know what the Bible teaches on the matter. There was a time when miracles were being practiced, but when that which was perfect came, those things ceased, the supernatural. And so today we cannot perform miracles. But if I said I could, you'd want proof, wouldn't you? Where do you get your authority? If I stood up here and told you that, you know, a person today can really just pray the sinner's prayer and God will heal that, hear that prayer and will save that sinner. You'd say, where's your authority? Where's the Bible say that? You see, uh, Martin Luther would say, well, the Bible doesn't say that you can't be saved by praying the sinner's prayer, so therefore you can. But Swingley would say, oh, the Bible doesn't say you can't be saved by praying the sinner's prayer, so therefore you can't. You see, Zwingli was right in his thinking, and Luther was definitely wrong. In Colossians 3.17, one of my favorite passages when it comes to matters like this, 
Paul said, And whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So whatsoever you do, in word or in deed. So what that means is, the things that we speak, we must do it in the name of the Lord. What does that mean? By what authority doeth thou these things? By what power and whose name? We must do it with His approval. The things that we speak and the things that we do. You know, if the, if the religious world would only put into practice, if they would just practice this one passage and just stick with the Bible, if they do not have authority for the things that they preach and practice, they would do away with those things and stick with the things that they, they have Scripture to support that gives them authorization. Wouldn't it be a difference in our world? that would be made you see we're really not divided over what the Bible does say we're divided over what the Bible does not say you see many have added in to their religious practices and their preaching things that are not found in the Word of God and that's where the division comes into being that's why we are separated or divided the scriptures are divinely inspired and are authoritative Back to the Bible. Back to the Bible we must go. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. The scriptures are God-breathed. They came from the mind and the mouth of Almighty God, not man. These other doctrines and teachings are from men, not from God. You see, this is one of the many things that really sets us apart from the rest of the world. Because we believe we must have his authority, his approval. We must do everything that we do in the name of the Lord or else we cannot do and say those things. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Peter wrote, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You see, these prophets did not prophesy their own words. They didn't give their own interpretations. It came from God. That's why we can trust in the Word of God because it came from God and not of men and therefore we must make sure that all that we do, we do in the name of the Lord. Young people, you're going to meet so many people in your lifetimes that are going to be way off in their understanding and it's, a lot of it's going to be because they do not know how to study the Bible. And they do not know that you must have book, chapter, and verse for everything that you practice and preach. Third point. The silence of the scriptures must be respected. Must. I don't hear a lot of what's going on in the brotherhood today. But from time to time when I do hear, I'm hearing of things happening in the church 
of Christ. That there's no scripture to support those things being done. And when we leave the authority of the scriptures and we stop respecting the silence of the scriptures, we're going to be just like all the denominations out there. There will be no distinctiveness in the church. If we are going to obey God, we must speak where God speaks and be silent where God is silent. Again, as Peter said in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. It's not about what Mike thinks, feels, or wants. It's not about what you think, feel, or want. It's about what God has authorized. That's taught at the very beginning of the Bible. As we've been studying Genesis. Over and over again, we see that God expects to be obeyed and nothing to be added to what he has authorized. The silence of the scriptures does not permit, as Luther would say, but rather it prohibits. It doesn't allow. Just because the Bible doesn't say you can't do this, this, or that doesn't mean you can. It really means you can't. It's known as the law of exclusion. The law of exclusion. That's what we're talking about this morning. God gives his laws in two forms. Some of his laws that he gives in his word, they are generic or they are general. Others that he gives are very specific. So those that are general, God just really tells man what he wants, but he doesn't tell man step by step how to accomplish it. He doesn't give him any certain process. But when God gives his commands specifically, then he tells man what he wants and tells him exactly how he wants, to, to do, wants him to do whatever it is that he wants done. That's very important to know. So when we see a command, we must first realize, is this a generic command or is this a specific command? And if it's a specific command, we must follow it to the letter. There are many examples of the Bible. We'll look at a few. These are principles that we actually use every day in our lives. I'm going to take my truck to the shop. And when I take my truck to the shop here probably this week, uh, I want him to find out what's causing my truck, my steering wheel to vibrate when I, when I press on my brakes. And so I'm going to explain to him what I want him to investigate and to let me know what's causing it so we can fix it. I'm going to be pretty specific. And when I do, and I leave that truck, I had better not go back to that shop and find out that he has replaced the engine in my truck. I had better not go back and find out that he's replaced all four of my tires. You know why? Because I'm going to be specific. I've got a problem here. I want you to fix this problem. That's it. You know what? That man's going to understand that. He's going to know that I don't want my seats recovered with new fabric he's going to understand that 
He's going to know I'm not there to get an oil change. I am going to be specific. And so that's the way this law of exclusion is. You take your child and you go up to the store and you, t and you give your child $5 and you say, son, go in there and get me a gallon of milk. You don't have to say, don't get spinach, don't get broccoli, don't get watermelon, don't get this, don't get that. You don't have to name all those things. Because once you specify what you want that child to get for that money, that eliminates everything else. So that child goes in, gets a gallon of milk, and a candy bar, and comes back out. And you're like, son, what are you doing with a candy bar? Well, you didn't say I couldn't get one. How would that work at your house? You know, some people have said it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. Well, you might play that game with your mom and your dad, and it might not be too severe. But you don't, you don't play that game with God. You don't say, oh, we're going to go ahead and give him this and that in our worship service, and, and then if he's not pleased with it, well, we'll get forgiveness. No, no. You better make sure you have permission first, because if you don't have permission, then... It's not authorized and it's excluded and you cannot do it. It's, it kind of reminds me a lot of the little game I used to play. I don't see kids play this anymore, but when I was a kid, we played Simon Says. Remember that? I was terrible at it. Uh, but Simon said, if Simon didn't say you could do something, you better not do it or he's going to lose the game. If Simon said lift your right hand and you didn't lift your hand, then you were out of the game. You lost. You had to do whatever Simon said. And so sometimes they'd say, Simon said, lift your right hand. Next time you know, they'd say, lift your left hand. You do that, Simon didn't say, lift your left hand. You see how simple this is? It's, it's something that little children can understand. The law of exclusion. You only do what you've been authorized to do. Now, I want you to notice these principles used by God in his word. Think back with me. Genesis chapter 4. Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. In the first seven verses we read that Abel was a uh, herdsman and he had flocks and Cain was a tiller of the ground. Process of time came. They built altars. They offered sacrifices. Abel offered an animal sacrifice known as a blood sacrifice and Cain gave of the fruit of, his of the ground. God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but rejected Cain's. Why? The answer has to be that God had specified to those two men that he wanted a blood sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. It doesn't say that right there in that text, but when we go to Hebrews uh, four, uh, I mean eleven four. We see that Abel offered more excellent sacrifice than did Cain. And you go to Romans ten seventeen, and you see that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so, if Abel offered his sacrifice by faith, which the Bible says he did, and faith comes by hearing the word of God, which it does, then that means he had to hear the word of God to know what to offer. Now, when God said, "I want a blood sacrifice," That excluded all other sacrifices. Where do you think that Cain found authority for offering of his crops? It's not in the Bible, is it? 
He dreamed that up in his own mind. You see, he had this idea, well, God didn't say that I could not offer of my crops, so I'm going to. You don't go by what God didn't say. We go by what God has said. It's really that simple, isn't it? You see, this is not about what we want. It's about what the great creator has authorized. What is it that he wants? It's what he likes. And what he really likes is for us to submit and do what he commands us to do. Genesis 6. Because the sons of God looked upon the daughters of men, saw they were fair, they took them to be their wives, and that caused sin to just fill the whole earth. Great wickedness. God was going to destroy the whole world. But there was one man who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. His name was Noah. And God told Noah to build an ark. In Genesis 6 verse 14, he told him to build that ark out of gopher wood. If that were to happen today, there would be people that would probably say, well, you know, I think uh, I like pine better, or I like juniper better, or I like cedar better. And God did not say, I couldn't use these other kinds of wood. God would have rejected it. Why? Because when God authorized, when he gives a specific command... He doesn't have to say, don't use this, don't use that, don't use something else. Because everything must be done in the name of the Lord. That means by his authority. He only authorized one type of wood to be used in the building of that ark. Oh, people today would be in a lot of trouble with God, wouldn't they? If, uh, and they are, actually, for, for not respecting the silence of the scriptures. Nadab and Abihu, Genesis 10, uh, Leviticus 10, verse 1 and 2. They took their censer and they put incense thereon and they used strange fire. God didn't command them to use the fire that they used. There was a particular fire that he had specified for them to use. But they used fire that was not authorized. They could have made the argument, I guess, well, God, you didn't say we couldn't, but when God specifies, that's all he's going to accept. On the Lord's table. You know there are some uh, places where they worship. And on the Lord's table they have water. Instead of fruit of the vine. But yet when we read scripture. Matthew 26, 26 through 29. Jesus authorized us to use fruit of the vine. And unleavened bread. That's it. You put cake and cookies on there. You put milk. Anything else you put, it's unauthorized. You cannot put anything else on there and say, we are doing this in the name of the Lord because he's only authorized through the vine and unleavened bread. People don't understand that today because they do not respect the science of the scripture. It's not about what the Bible uh, says you doesn't say anything about. It. It's what, he do, what it does say when it comes to singing. How many people use mechanical uh, instruments of music in their worship today? It's very common. And it's even being more and more common in churches of Christ. But yet when we go to scripture to see what God has authorized, this is what we're going to find every time. Colossians 3.16. 
Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. There's no authorization for us to use mechanical instruments of music in worship to God. That will never change. People can say, well, he doesn't say, well, you can't use a piano. He doesn't say you can't use an organ. Well, you go down that road if you want to, but it won't work because he has specified. Had God just said, make music unto me, that would have been a generic command, right? And we could play instruments, we could sing with our voices, but he didn't say just make music. He specified. And so we can't make that argument. Well, he didn't say we couldn't do it, so we can. Who's to be baptized? Very plain. Mark 16, 16, he that believeth. A person that does not believe has no authority to be baptized for their remission of sins. When it comes to marriage, divorce, and remarriage, who can divorce his spouse? Jesus is very clear, Matthew 19, 9. I say also in thee, uh, that, uh, but I say unto thee that for fornication, that's the only reason that you can, with, that you can uh, divorce your spouse. You know, they were saying, well, you know, Moses allowed them to divorce for any cause. But Jesus said, well, I said, and of course, he first went back and said, have you not read that he which at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they should be one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And he said, but I said unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. But someone may say, well, you know, he didn't say I couldn't put it away for this reason, that reason, or another reason. Oh, yes, he did. How did he do that? By telling you the reason you could put one away. That's the only exception. There are no others. And so, again, people are really, what they're doing is adding to the word of God when they do not respect the silence of the scriptures. Just think about the name that disciples were given to wear. When you think about all the names of people out there today, when you say, well, what are you, what are you, what are you? And some say, well, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Methodist, I'm Presbyterian, I'm Catholic, I'm Assembly, and on and on they go. Where's their authority for those names? Someone asks you, well, what are you? You say, I'm a Christian. Well, where'd you get that name? Acts eleven twenty six, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Isn't that wonderful? When God specifies a name, that's the name you wear. You don't go around and say, oh, well, what are you? Oh, I'm a Baptist. Well, where's your authority for that? It's not in here, is it? No. When God gave the name Christian to the disciples, that eliminated all the other names. That's the only proper name that we have that we've been given by God, the name Christian. So many add to God's word by not respecting the silence of the scriptures today. It's happening all around us. It's happening inside the church and definitely outside the church. We need to make sure it doesn't happen here. You need to always demand of your preacher and of your teachers that they always give book, chapter, and verse for everything they preach and teach. If they're not willing to do that, they don't need to be in the pulpit. They don't need to be standing before others and teaching they must give book, chapter, and verse. Where is the authority for preaching and teaching the things? It is sad that so many use this faulty argument 
Well, the Bible doesn't say you cannot do a thing, so therefore we can. Young people, don't ever buy into that. You always say, give me book, chapter, and verse. Someone says you can do this, you can do that, and please God, give me book, chapter, and verse. Show me in the Bible where God has authorized it. May we be content with preaching and practicing only that which has been authorized, Colossians 3.17. We need to ask ourselves things like this. How, where, when, why, who? You see, when, when God tells you how he wants something done, that leaves out any other way. When God tells you where he wants it done, that leaves out every other place. And when God tells you when he wants something done, that leaves out all other times. And when he tells us why, that leaves out all other reasons. And when he says who, that leaves out all other people. It's that simple. When it comes to baptism, how? There's the question. How is one to be baptized? What does the Bible say? Romans 6, 4, he's to be immersed. You know what that does? That leaves out sprinkling, that leaves out pouring. They're not authorized. But yet look at the people that are practicing that today. Where? According to John 3 verse 23. And since it's immersion. It must be where there's much water. Well that leaves out where there's no water. Or where there's just a little. Where one cannot be immersed. That leaves out that little pitcher of water. That someone would pour on someone's head. It must be where there is enough water to immerse or submerge a person totally beneath the water. When? Well, in Acts 2 verse 47, the Bible says, And the same day, the same day, they were baptized. When's the time to be baptized? As soon as you learn the truth. That's the day to be baptized. And then why? It's for the remission of sins, Acts 2 38. It's not because you've already been saved. It's not to join the church of your choice. It's to have your sins remitted, which in having your sins remitted, you're then added to the church, Acts 2, 47. And so that's why. And then who? Just anyone can't be baptized. The Bible is very clear. It must be a penitent, confessing believer. If a person doesn't believe, there's no need to be baptized. If a person will not repent, turn from his sins, there's no need to be baptized. And if one refuses to confess his faith in Christ, baptism is useless. So Acts 2.38, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin. These people were told they already believed, so they were told to repent and to be baptized. In Acts 8, verse 36, uh, Acts 35, Philip's teaching the eunuch, and he begins at the same scripture, he preached to him, Jesus, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip answered, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. You've got to believe. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He made that confession, didn't he? And then they went down both in the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And so the who, the penitent, confessing believer, is ready to be baptized. May God help us to study the Bible correctly. May we first of all have that burning desire to know, to understand God's precious word. And then may we be very careful that we always respect the silence of the scripture. 
that we dare not add to the word of God or take away from the word of God. We need to make sure that everything that we preach and practice is found in God's word. That we have a thus saith the Lord, we can do it in his name by his authority. If you're here this morning and you haven't obeyed the gospel, we encourage you to do so. And if you know the truth, right now is the best time you'll ever have. You may ask, well, what must I do? Then the answer is very simple, according to Scripture. You must believe, John 3, 16. You must repent of all your sins, Luke 13, 3. You must confess him before men, uh, Matthew 10, 32. And you must be baptized for the remission of sins, Acts 2, 38. And at baptism, you'll have your sins washed away, Acts 22, 16. And then continue to study, 2 Timothy 2, 15. Uh, learn to rightly divide the word of God. And then put it into practice. And live it in your lives. And grow. As Peter says, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You've got to desire it. You've got to hunger for it. And then follow these rules of interpretation that we use every day. Just many don't when it comes to studying their Bibles. If you're here this morning and we can assist you in any way, won't you come as together we stand and sing.